Well, good morning, CVC family. So good to see you, and uh, just a special welcome uh, to our guest. Uh, we're so glad that you're here, especially if uh, you're here for the RNC. Welcome to church here in Cleveland for the day, and welcome to all of those of you watching online. We're glad that you're with us as well. I also want to say a special welcome back to our uh, frontline campers and counselors. You know, we had a, yeah, woo, yeah, some in the house. Uh, man, they had a great week, just growing in the Lord. Uh, also, welcome back to, we had a uh, team of people in El Salvador serving at Love and Hope Children's Home. They're back, and so we're grateful they're back. Uh, coming back today is a team that's been over in West Virginia doing disaster recovery from the June floods. And so just uh, welcoming all these folks back into uh, the church. And as I think about those teams, I think about camp and people serving on short-term missions, um, I'm just reminded uh, of the joy uh, that it is to, to be faithful to serve the Lord Jesus. I think about the small army of people getting ready to do sports camp in a week, you know? Uh, it's just a joy to serve Jesus. And when we think about just the difficulty of some of the horrific headlines we've seen recently with Baton Rouge and St. Paul and Dallas and, of course, now Nicaea, uh, we're constantly reminded that there's a lot of people out there that will submit their lives to evil purposes and an evil mission. But when we think about, you know, the groups that just came back and all the other things going on, there's plenty of good still happening in this world. And there's plenty of people that are submitting their lives to doing things that would glorify God and, and, and bring hope to people and bring glory to Jesus. I mean, think about the counselors who just spent a week losing sleep, eating camp food, living in a dorm with a group of teenagers, and using some vacation time to do it. Like some of you thinking that, that may be a definition of hell in Scripture, you know. Um, I don't. I think it's an amazing opportunity. But uh, for some, that's challenging. Well, why do those counselors do that? Man, just to do something good, to glorify God and, and, and hang out with a bunch of teens and tell them about Jesus. You know, why did we have a group of people go to Love and Hope Children's Home in, in, in El Salvador and just um, love on those kids, man, to do something good, to glorify God and to help some kids that had, need, you know, special care and love um, to glorify Jesus? Why would a group of people put on Tyvek suits and, and, and you know, rummage around dirty, smelly, you know, dis homes in disrepair in West Virginia? Man, to do something good, just to glorify God and help others experience the love and hope of Jesus. And so, you know, why, why do you? Why do you um, decide to be a life house where you live? Why do you lead a life group? Why do you teach kids? Why do you serve in whatever capacity that you serve Christ? To do something good, to glorify God and help people understand and know Jesus. And if, you, and if you're a believer in Christ and, and, and you go to church and you're not serving, why should you? <laughs> why should you be a life house? Why you, should you lead a life group? Why should you do those things? Do something good uh, to glorify God and bring um, the message of Jesus to people who so desperately need it. And so uh, we think about the Christian life as a life that yields to the Lord. The Christian life is a life of surrender. We submit ourselves, we submit our schedules, we submit our personal agendas, we submit our comforts, we submit our resources to the mission of Jesus Christ. And for anyone who's thinking to themselves, well, what is the mission of Jesus Christ? He made that very clear. He said it in different ways in different places in Scripture, but Luke 19.10, Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came, to seek and save the lost. That's why he was born. That's why he lived a perfect life. That's why he allowed mankind to nail him to the cross. That's why he rose from the grave. That's why he appeared to hundreds over, uh, over a month after his resurrection. That's why he uh, empowered the church with the Holy Spirit and commissioned us to reach the lost. That's why he ascended, and that's why Jesus came back to seek and save the lost. 
That's his mission. And if we love Jesus, then we're going to love his mission. And if we love Jesus, we're going to live for his mission. And this is a mission of submission in our life. When we think about living for Christ, it's a mission of submission uh, for Christ. And as we've been going through this book of Acts, uh, we're looking at men and women of the early church as they're on this voyage, this journey of bold growth. And on this voyage, they are living in submission to Christ and to live for his mission. And so my hope in spending all this time in Acts that we are is that we'd be motivated, we'd be captivated uh, to live like them and go, if God could use them the way he used them, then he can use us too. And so how can we grow? How can we be like them? How can we learn lessons from them? And so we're going to continue in the book of Acts today, and uh, we're going to be in Acts, Acts chapter 16 and chapter 17. We're obviously not going to read all those verses. I'm going to zoom in and look at a couple major points. And so I invite you to join me right now in Acts chapter 16. And whatever I don't teach on, I just invite you to look back at and read at another time and just look at some of the details of these events. But we're thinking about living on a mission of submission for Christ and what that looks like. Well, as we're about to see here in Acts 16 and 17, first, living on a mission of submission for Christ means sacrificing. It means sacrificing. Uh, look with me at Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So as we jump back in the book of Acts, let's just get a little context here. We're during uh, the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. And we see that Paul has Silas with him. They're in modern-day Turkey, obviously because of headlines. We know that Turkey needs extra prayer right now as well. Um, they're in modern-day Turkey, and he's revisiting some of the places he's been to. That's his game plan. We're going to visit some of the places we've been to to make new disciples and grow the ones who are already there. Now, while he's there, uh, he sees a young man named Timothy. And as the text says, Timothy has a good reputation. He's well known by the Christian community as a faithful young man of the Lord. And we see that Timothy comes from a, what you would call a mixed spiritual background. Uh, that was, that's my background. Some of you might have that same background. Uh, my mom loves Jesus and my dad does not. And so this was Timothy's background. His mom uh, became a believer. She was a Jewish woman who became a believer in Christ as the Messiah. But his Greek father has not professed faith in Christ. And so that, that's his background. And as Paul meets this young man, he, he's pretty much smitten by him and goes, here's a young man worth investing into. A man of great quality that I want to mentor and raise up and invite with me into mission. So he invites Timothy to join him on mission. Now, uh, we've got to go back to Acts 15 and realize there's this issue of circumcision. Because Timothy's Jewish, but his dad's not. So at this point, he's not been circumcised, even though his mom's Jewish, for whatever reason. You know, we don't, we don't have a memo on that, okay? And uh, in Acts 15, there's this big ruckus, right? All the Jews are saying, yeah, Jesus, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised to be saved. Well, what we see here is Paul saying to Timothy, I want you to be on mission with me, but I need you to be circumcised. This isn't a salvation issue. This is a missional strategy issue. 
And so what Paul is presenting to Timothy is, we're going to go out, we're going to tell people about Jesus. Uh, our strategy is go into the synagogues, talk to the Jews, and then from there also talk to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. One problem, Timothy, if we go and talk to a lot of these Jewish folk, uh, they know your dad's a Greek, and they, know, they probably know you're not circumcised, so it's going to be an obstacle. They're not going to really take you serious. So if you want to serve with me, uh, you're going to need to have a circumcision. So to live for Christ is a thing of sacrifice. And Timothy submitted himself to that procedure so that he could go live for Christ. That's a big deal. That's sacrificial. That's denying yourself. I want you to think about Timothy the next time you sign up to go on a mission trip, a camp, or to serve in a ministry area, and someone gives you an application to fill out or a background check paper to fill out, and you're irked because you've got to fill out an application or background check. I want you to think about Timothy in the corner going, Really? You're upset because you got to fill out a paper. Do you know what I had to do to go serve with Paul? Are you serious? But what I love about this moment, it shows the character of Timothy. Like he was willing to sacrifice to be on mission for Jesus. Man, that, that's just the way it is when we love Jesus and we love living on the mission for Jesus. Don't forget what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So living for Christ is a lifestyle of denying ourselves. It means we sacrifice. It means we're willing to sacrifice. So we're willing to sacrifice our dreams, our plans, our comforts, our preferences. Um, let me just ask you this, because if you're a follower of Christ today, following Jesus has cost you something. You know, what has following Christ cost you? Does it cost you uh, some relationships with people because they don't want to follow Jesus? Has it, has it cost you some of the, you know, the American dream that you thought you were going to live for, and then God's you know, revamped your priorities and your values? Like It's cost you something if you're following Jesus. And as we continue to mature in our faith and grow in the Lord, we continue to grow in sacrifice. We grow in our willingness to sacrifice, to be effective, to live on mission for Jesus. And so what else are you willing to sacrifice to serve the Lord? Are you willing to sacrifice uh, time? Are you willing to sacrifice money? Are you willing to sacrifice popularity with people? Are you willing to sacrifice your pride? Are you willing to sacrifice convenience? Are you at a place where you'll say, you know what, I really believe I'll do whatever it takes to just make Jesus famous, just to help people know the Lord. And that's what Timothy did, and obviously that's what Paul did, and all these men and women that we look at in the book of Acts. They lived a life of sacrifice. And I love that God gave us a snapshot of the fruit the results of the sacrifice. When you look at five, verse 5 again, it says, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Man, believers grew. More people came to faith in Christ because you have some men who are willing to sacrifice. And so if we're going to live on a mission of submission for Christ, it's going to be a mission of sacrifice. It's going to be a lifestyle of sacrifice. Secondly, we see that living on a mission of submission for Christ means shifting. It means we're going to be a little bit flexible. Look with me at uh, verses 6 through 10 in Acts 16. And it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's curious. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, 
Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you ever have a plan that you lay before the Lord, but then for some reason it doesn't go according to plan? <laughs> this, is, this is Paul. And of course, you have a map here. It's kind of giving you a little bit of orientation about where he's going. But Paul's got a plan. He's going to continue to go northward. He's going to go into Asia. Why? There's unreached people in Asia. When you look at the book of Acts, this is a book about God sending his people into the unreached realms to tell people about Jesus. And God's, you know, growing these guys through the Roman Empire, basically, talking about Jesus. So Paul's like, we're going to go visit some old churches. We're going to go into some new areas. Let's go into Asia. Let's go up there. God said no. Okay, well, let, let's keep going. They just keep moving. They didn't just sit there and wait. I think that's profound. They, they, it, I think it's easier to redirect something in motion than to just jumpstart something that's still. And so, okay, we'll keep going. And they're going in a prayerful spirit. And, well, we're in Mysia. Let's, let's go up to uh, Bithynia. No, you're not going. And so God is closing doors. Like, I remember as a kid, I would play in the dirt, and I would make these little channels, right? And then open up water so it would flow through that. I feel, I feel like that's what God's doing. He's, he's kind of opening and closing doors. At this point, closing doors, redirecting and navigating Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. Because if you notice in verse 10, it says, we. Anytime you see that change of context, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Now Luke's going with them. Uh, they're, they're, they're on this trip, and God's redirecting them. And here's what's fascinating. I mean, don't you find this fascinating? That they were going to go live on mission. They're going to do a God thing in Asia. God said, no. Okay, well, we'll go up to, to Bithynia. No. God had something different in mind. So it's not that they had something bad in mind. It's that he had done something different, and he closed doors to direct them. And we have no idea how God told them no. Like, we're not given that detail here. We don't know if God showed up in a vision. We don't know if he sent an angel. We don't know if they had a check in their spirit. We don't know if they got a text, a homing pigeon. We have no clue. But God made it clear by closing his doors he didn't want them to go there. So they were shifting their plans from what they had in mind. And as they're there in Troas, on that you know, uh, western tip of modern-day Greece, hanging out, God gives them a vision. He opens a door. And he sees this vision of a man in Macedonia, modern-day Greece, saying, come over here, help us. And, and Paul, being very you know, in tune at the moment, going, that's where God's sending us. So they get on a boat and they go over to Greece. And now they're going to be sharing the gospel over there. Paul was thinking Asia, God had planned Europe. So, God, um, so Paul gave up his plan for God's call. Have you ever given up your plan for God's call? Are you praying about giving up your plan for God's call in your life? And what is God's call in your life? And how do you know when you're listening to it? Because God had a plan here, but these men had to shift. They had to be submissive to what God was doing, and God was opening and closing doors to guide them as they were going through life. And I don't know how God's guided you or what he's guided you to. I've shared bits and pieces over the years. For those of you who are familiar, you know, with a little bit of our story, like, man, I wanted the Air Force. God said no, gave me ministry. Praise God. I'm so glad he did. My wife and I had planned, you know, biological family. God said no. And we have infertility. But you know what? God gave us this glorious gift of adoption. We have three beautiful children through adoption. And praise God. You know, I thought I was going to do ministry in my home state of California the rest of my life. You know what? God said no and called me out here. And it's been a joy. Like, you just want to be where God wants you to be. But you have to be willing to submit in a way that you're willing to shift your plans. We can't clutch our plans and say, God, this is how you have to do it. You have to, you have to hold your plans loosely 
and say, God, this is what I'm presenting before you. And just watch him open and close doors. I hope that's how you pray for guidance from God. God, would you open and close doors? I'm going to take that as your leading in my life. And as we see these men respond, we see fruit. I mean, they end up in a place called Philippi, right? And so now they're in Europe, they're in Philippi, and if you, you know, I'm just going to summarize here what happened in Philippi, they saw the very first European convert, the very first person to come to Christ in Europe that we see recorded in Scripture, and it's a woman named Lydia. And Lydia comes to faith in Christ, her household responds as well, they come to faith. From there, we see a really interesting situation where Paul and his companions are continuing on. This annoying little demon-possessed girl is following them for several days. Paul gets tired of her. He casts the demon out of this girl. Now, this girl was demon-possessed, and that allowed her to, to do fortune-telling. And so what happened was the owners of the girl got really mad, you know, threw a fit, because now they couldn't make any money on this girl because she couldn't do fortune-telling anymore. So they got the magistrates and the town all up in a, in a ruckus, and they, they basically had to leave. You know, they got put in jail. They got beaten and, and stuck in the uh, Philippian jail. Well, they didn't complain. They didn't gripe. As they're chained up in a jail, they're singing praises to God. They're praying. They're rejoicing. You know, God rocks that jail with an earthquake, loosens their shackles. They're there. The Philippian jailer comes in, freaked out because he thinks they've escaped. He knows that's his life. Instead, they're like, we're right here. The Philippian jailer asks about salvation. He comes to faith. Um, his household comes to faith. Next thing you know, we've got the very first church in Europe, right there in Philippi. And, and, and talk about diversity. God loves diversity, right? Talk about diversity. The very first church in Europe was made up of a Jewish businesswoman, a Philippian jailer, and very likely a slave girl that once was demon-possessed. Talk about like a hodgepodge group of, you know, ragtag church planters, you know? But that's what God did. And from there, we see that, 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 that God has used the church in Philippi greatly because these men were willing to submit. They were willing to shift and be flexible in their plans. Likewise, we also need to be willing to shift God's opening doors, God's closing doors, and we're shifting plans because of, we live on a mission of submission for Christ. Thirdly, we see this as we can continue in Acts 17. We see that living on a mission of submission for Christ means studying. Some of you are already going, oh, no, here we go, study. Uh, some of you have heard my story. Um, man, I, I had a hard time studying growing up. Still do at times. I had a lot of academic failure in my life growing up. Uh, my idea of being stuck in a room for hours and hours and hours and books and books and books, uh, that may be my definition of hell, okay? Um, that, that everyone that knows Jesus is going to go to heaven and have a party. Everyone who doesn't know Jesus is going to be stuck studying for eternity, you know? Uh, but what happens is as you open up the Word of God and you start to study, you start to receive the fruit and the benefit of the knowledge and the insights that God gives you. And you think about the Apostle Paul. We, we admire Paul and all those men and women because of their courage and boldness to go out and take the message of Christ to everybody. But you know what? They still had to study. They still had to learn. And so we see how that's applied, right? We see what happens in Acts 17. In Acts 17, Paul next finds himself in Thessalonica. And isn't it so cool that you see these towns popping up and, and, and seeing them on the map now? And then when you see the Bible and you see the books like Philippians and Thessalonians, you know, like these are letters written to the church in Thessalonica and the church in Philippi. And it's, it's so cool to know that. But here he is. He's showing up to Thessalonica. And in verses 2 through 3, we see that Paul went into the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, for three weeks. And it says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures. 
He reasoned with them from the scriptures. We look at verse 3 in chapter 17. It says, He was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. See, the obstacle that Paul is running into with his Jewish mindset and all the synagogues is they are waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for the, the, the chosen one of God to come. But again, this chosen one in their mindset is going to come establish a physical kingdom. He's going to wipe out Rome. He's going to establish Jewish power. And so when Paul starts talking about the Messiah has come, oh, but he suffered and died, they're checking out. They're going, well, that's clearly not the Savior. So he has to take them back into the Word of God. He has to unroll the scrolls and say, look, look at Scripture, how it says here that he's going to suffer. Look here that he's going to do this. Look here that he's going to do this. Look here he's going to do this. He's pulling back the Scriptures so that if they can see the Scriptures, they go, oh, you're right. We, that doesn't fit the paradigm that we were thinking. But how would Paul uh, know how to reason the scriptures? He had to learn the scriptures. How does he learn the scriptures? Studying the scriptures. Paul had to immerse himself. And of course, if you know of Timothy and Silas and all these other guys are hanging out with Paul, they had homework. They had to learn. They had to study. They had to read. They had to memorize scripture so that when they could come up to a situation, they can connect the dots of who Jesus is and why he is the Savior and how he can forgive sins. And so this is so critical, so important. And so in Thessalonica, a bunch of people believed, and then the Jewish religious authorities got really bent out of shape, and they ran them out of town. And then they show up in the next place, which is Berea. And I love the attitude of the Bereans. We see this in Acts 17, verses 10 through 12. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with eagerness. And what does it say they did? examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as men, and men as well. And so uh, these Bereans hear the message, and instead of just going, okay, we'll take your word for it, or instead of going, no, we're just going to reject it, they open up the scriptures and say, we're going to check it out ourselves. We're going to see if what you're saying is true. And they got into the word, and they studied the word of God. You've got unbelievers studying the Word of God. And what did it result in? Belief for many of them. And so we just have to understand the power of God's Word and the power and the benefits of, of, of being in God's Word and learning God's Word and studying God's Word. Like we're always you know, encouraging you guys, share your faith, share your faith. We'll talk about that more here in a second. But what do you know how to share if there's nothing there, if there's no substance? And, and I don't know about you, but some of the, some of the best a movement I've seen with people that I'm trying to tell about Jesus is not just tell them about my testimony, not just tell them about the gospel, but I get them into the Bible. And so if you've got friends or family that you're hoping comes to faith in Christ, one of the best things you can do is get them a Bible and then see if they'll read it with you. And so a lot of times I'll give a Bible to someone and say, hey, would you read a Bible with me? And I'll tell you what, just, let's start in the book of John, because John really unpacks the gospel well, it unpacks Jesus well. It's a very robust spiritual book, but it's pretty easy to grab a hold of. And so I'll say, you, you read a chapter a day, I'll read a chapter a day, and let's, let's talk about it. And some of you, maybe that's your story. Maybe that's a story of someone you know that they didn't know the Lord, but once they unfolded the pages of God's word, they met the Lord. See, if you, if you just talk to them about your faith, at some point they'll go, that's just your opinion. That's just your opinion. You know, well, you could be speaking the gospel truth, but they still might just be dismissing it because it's you talking. But if you get them to the word of God, now they have to encounter God and choose to either reject God's word or accept God's word. 
But we also have to be um, very diligent to study. I had a woman after the last service just came up to me, and she goes, I have family members that ask me why I believe in the Bible, and they ask me you know, why, why I believe in the resurrection. And I, I'm looking for one of my you know, Christian family members to help me out because I don't know. And she just felt embarrassed but also motivated and um, desiring to know the answer because if we can't answer the question, then it means we don't know the answer to the question. How do you know that Bible is true? How do you know that all 66 books of those uh, books in your Bible are divinely inspired word of God? How do you know the empty grave is really the empty grave? How do you know who Jesus really is? Can you back it? Can you give substance? Can you study the word of God? Do, do you have Bible commentaries at home to, to learn scriptures? Do you have a good systematic theology book? Do you have some websites that you go to? That I mean, think about it. What seminarians and pastors used to have spend hundreds and thousands of dollars, we can click and get for free right now. Like, there's no excuses that we have really to not merge into the word of God. And so if we're going to live on submission to the mission of Christ, we've got to be willing to commit our mind to grow and understand the scriptures so that we can know them for ourselves and apply them, and also so we can help other people come to know Christ and the truth of the gospel. I'm assuming I'm talking to many people here that believe the Bible is true and Jesus is real. So we have to be able to back it with substance, and so we have to commit ourselves to more study. Fourthly, we see that living on a mission of submission for Christ means sharing. It means sharing. I'm not talking about sharing your stuff. That's a good thing to do, too. Um, I'm talking about sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus with others. What we see in the next part of Acts 17 is that Paul leaves Silas and Timothy in Berea, and then he heads to Athens. I just want to stop here for a second. If any of you have ever traveled internationally or you've ever traveled to a city or a community that's heavily populated by, some, by people of another faith, just imagine what you saw and sensed and picked up on there, all right? Um, if you've ever traveled to a heavy, heavy country with heavy Buddhism influence or, or Hindu influence or Islamic influence, uh, you'll see the mosque, you'll see the temples, you'll, you'll, you'll smell the incense a lot of times, You'll see a lot of the little tables and booths around the community where they're selling little carvings or little statues that you can take and apply and pray to or bring into your home or use in your acts of worship. Imagine what Paul saw and smelled and sensed and felt when he stepped into Athens, Greece. You're talking about giant temples to pagan gods. You're talking about giant statues to pagan gods. You're talking about wherever you turn, uh, there's, there's worship of, of pagan cults and deities. And you probably saw little booths and tables where there were little statues and trinkets and rocks and amethysts and things that were supposed to do certain things to give you certain powers or certain access to God or whatever it is. And so put yourself in his shoes and read Acts 17, verses 16 through 23 with me. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. 
So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious, for I passed along and observed the object of your worship, and I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And then he unfolds the gospel to this group of philosophers there on Mars Hill at the Areopagus. Several things really stand out to me in this snapshot of Paul sharing as he's living on the mission of submission for Christ. One, he's in a place where his spirit is provoked. The scripture says his spirit was provoked. It means he became burdened for what he saw. And that burden was compelling him to take action. Look, you and I look around all the time and see brokenness. We've got broken families and broken people. We've got broken systems. Some of us are broken. Some of our families are broken. And as we look around us, are our spirits provoked like Paul's was when we see the lostness and the brokenness of the people around us, like they're all around us? And I love that his spirit was provoked. And maybe you've been there where you were in a situation and you were hearing something or seeing something. You're like, I just can't help myself. I gotta like, I gotta step in here. And hopefully you weren't a jerk about it. You, you know, you just you lovingly shared something about the Lord. You, you, you deposited something positive and encouraging about the Christian faith and about your Savior. But we need to be people who have, have sensitive spirits that can be provoked when we see the lostness around us. People who believe um, crazy things, silly things, and they're just mentally deceived, spiritually deceived that don't know the Lord. And then because of that, look where he went. He, he basically had three different audiences that he, sh- that he shared with. He went to the Jewish synagogues, and you know, using the knowledge and his study, he, he unpacked the gospel using the scriptures to the Jews. It says he was in the marketplace. And, and imagine big, giant streets down the middle of town. They were oftentimes called cardos. And along these big streets, they would have, you know, that, that was the shopping store. There would be all these tables and tents and stuff full of clothing and food and whatever. And, and he would just go hang out in the marketplace and just visit with people, who, just whoever was there. So this was probably just a bunch of foreigners, a bunch of pagans. He was sharing the gospel with a bunch of pagans. And then you have these philosophers, these highly educated and astute minds that said, we don't know what you're talking about, man. You're talking about some guy dying and coming back to life? Yeah, we got to hear more about this because it's kind of entertaining, you know? And so they invite him to Mars Hill, to the Areopagus. And he, what a crazy invitation. We want you to tell us more about what you believe. Okay, if I must, you know? And he shares, and he's just sharing because the Spirit's provoked within us. Why don't we share our faith more? You know, quite honestly, a lot of us feel under-equipped. Well, let's equip you. We have tools. We've taught you the three circles. We can coach you. We can help you out. A lot of us are afraid. And you know what? The fear is real. The fear is real. What if I'm rejected? What if I burn that relationship? You know what? We just can't let our fear immobilize us, guys. We can't. And so we have to be willing to share And you see here, people coming to faith. A lot of these people came to faith. Why? Because someone had the courage to share. When you're in a moment when you're face-to-face with someone and God is tapping you on the shoulder going, I want you to speak about Jesus. In that moment, you have to be willing to submit. You've got to be willing to submit to the leading of the Spirit and not be afraid. Allow the courage of God to fill you and lovingly engage in a conversation where you, you understand, make, help that other person understand what you believe and why. And you get to talk about the cross and you get to talk about the resurrection. You get to talk about sin and there's no other way for forgiveness of sin. You get to talk about why the world's so broken and because of the infection of sin. And You get to share the love of Jesus. Here's the thing. What if you share the gospel with 100 people 
but only one responds? What if only five respond? What if 10 respond? Is it worth it? Is it worth 99 no's to get one yes? Absolutely. We, we, we are all responsible to plant seeds, water seeds, and harvest seeds for the gospel. I would rather try 100 times and get one yes than try zero times and get a definite zero. I don't want to stand before my Savior one day going, I didn't even try. I didn't even try. I didn't submit at all to sharing. And so when we look at the lives of these men and women, we have to realize like, this is the life they lived, and it motivates us. You know, Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's God's call to us. We have this list of excuses, which we think will excuse us, but they don't. And so we have to submit. So my friends, as we look at, I mean, there's so much more there. I encourage you to read Acts 16 and 17. Maybe today, just peruse it, look at some more of the details. But we have to live on submission to the mission for Christ. And that means it's sacrifice. It means it's shifting our plans. It means that we're studying. It means that we're sharing. What does this look like in real life? It's very easy for you guys. Oh, you're a pastor, blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, you're supposed to do that. It, it's, it's hard for me too. But I just love sometimes when our, our brothers and sisters in Christ get to just share what that looks like in their life. And so I'm going to invite a friend up here uh, to join me. Some of you may know Anne. This is Anne Minheim. Would you guys welcome her, please? Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, Ann. Well, for those who may not know you, um, why don't you introduce yourself and your okay. beautiful family up here? Um, my name is Ann Mentime, and we've been members here at CVC for about 22 years. We were here when this, we were in the school and have been blessed by the family of Christ that God has built in this community. But that's my biological, or my real family, and my husband is a godly man. I'm blessed by that. I have four children, and we were blessed this year that one of my kids got married. So I have a beautiful daughter-in-law as well. So that's our family. The Minheims, gorgeous family yep. indeed. And you have something, you know, just kind of small taking place tomorrow. You're taking just a Big. little trip. <laughs> I'm traveling to the other side of the world. So Indonesia, we're taking a missions team, and I think that's the next slide that you're going to see. This is the team of students. Two years ago, I was blessed to have the privilege to go with um, one of the first teams that went over to Indonesia to try and minister to the people on the island of Pearl Island. And um, uh, this year, I'm taking a team of, a team of students from our impact ministry. And again, there are four really um, amazing kids who have submitted to obeying the Lord even here in their lives among high school students, but now they desire to submit to the Lord and um, obey him and go over and even share their faith with a lot of people over in Indonesia, hopefully. I so, noticed that young man's leaning a little close to The like really cute you. guy behind me is my own son, so again, I'm really <laughs> pleased to have him on the trip as well. So. Well, if I would have came to you a couple years ago, uh -huh. three years ago, and said, hey, Ann, you're going to be leading a trip of mm -hmm. students to Indonesia on a mission trip, you probably would have been like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I do have to say, like, you know, again, it's, it's not really suffering for me to travel and to talk to people and to talk about my faith in Christ. That's really comes naturally for me, but it's true. Leading a trip is a little bit more overwhelming, so, yeah. Well, we're grateful for you to lead the trip. That's uh -huh. very courageous of you, and uh, we're glad that you're going. God's using our teams. You know, we've sent several teams this summer into Pearl Island, and God's, we're seeing movement over yes. there, so thank you for being part of that. So we just talked about living in submission, um, you know, for the mission of Christ. Obviously, you're doing that, leading a team. Mm -hmm. But out of those things that we talked about and, mm -hmm. and the things we saw in Scripture here, the, the, um, you know, the sacrificing, the shifting, the studying, mm -hmm. the sharing, which one of those kind of comes easiest for you? 
Um, I'd have to say that um, of the four of them, that um, studying is a good one too. I said the other one last time, but shifting is really something that does come a little bit more naturally. I'm married to an airline pilot and our schedules are always changing and I've just had to learn this word called flexible and I not only apply that in my, real li in my life of scheduling, but also my spiritual life. I do kind of, you know, do do well when God changes the plan. That seems to be easy for me. I'm just thinking about that. I'm going, a lot of us as travelers think, oh, yeah, we have to be flexible when we travel. Mm -hmm. I can imagine being the family member of a pilot. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, that amplifies the <laughs> changes flexibility. Everything. Well, yeah. out of those four areas, which one is, is more challenging for you? And also, um, how does that apply, do you think? Because hopefully all of you will get a chance mm -hmm. to go on an international missions trip um, to serve. But for those of us who aren't yet, mm -hmm. how does that apply to us as well? So what do you challenge with and how does that challenge us? You know, um, even like when I think about doing the Indonesia trip, like I said, some of it, you know, comes naturally because it's part of my skill set. But the parts that don't come naturally, I think the hardest thing of those four things is this point called sacrifice. Because, you know, it's really not hard to sacrifice on the things that come easy to us. And that's my story. Like, even as we've ministered here in the church, you know, when we've been asked to help in the in the children's ministry, when they ask us, to, my husband and I, to teach a four-year-old Sunday school class, we're all in because those kids are well-behaved and they clean up their own messes. And, you know, they can really listen and we can really get to the gospel because that's what we like doing. But when someone calls us to help in the baby room or when someone asks us to, you know, help out in the two-year-old room when there's more of them, than when you're outnumbered, you know, sometimes five to one. So, you know, and they don't clean up after themselves. Those are tougher obedience issues. But I really learned a lot even from being a parent. You know, it's easy for me to tell my kids, well, you know, obey. When we ask them to obey in an area that's easy for them, hey, you know, you guys have to participate in family game night tonight. They're all in. But if you ask them to clean their room, you know, that's a little bit harder because they don't want to. They like the kind of grunge look going on. And so, you know, they just don't really want to do the things they don't want to do. I think it's so similar to us as adults that we go towards the things that we can do easily in obedience, but the things that come harder. And, and I find in my own life that if I practice obeying in all of the areas of my life, even in my own home, you know, it's easy to obey on reading the kids' bedtime books. It's harder to obey God when you have to clean up throw up or when you have to do those other jobs that come along with being a parent. So I'm just practicing and so grateful that the Lord doesn't measure my salvation based on my obedience, yeah. but still desiring very much to want to obey him because his ways are best. Mm, that's so. a good word. I think a lot of us can relate to a lot of what mm -hmm. you've said. And, and my hope is that, and I think you've accomplished this, that um, all of us have to try to practice this on different Amen. levels. And we're so grateful that you and the team are uh, together. All these students are practicing sacrifice mm -hmm. and shifting schedules and all those things. And we know your time there will yes. be full of sacrifice and shifting and all those mm -hmm. kinds of things. What is one of the best ways we can be praying for the team? Well, praying for us to be willing to sacrifice and shift, be mm -hmm. flexible, but sacrifice and serving the people of these villages. Because again, when we go in there and we just try and serve and love on them, it just speaks the volume, speaks volumes in who we are as children of Christ. And so it helps our message to have some mm -hmm. you know, credibility to it. Plus also pray for me in particular. Like I said, it's not my skill set to want to do the follow-up, but again, I don't want to be the kind of person who just goes on this 10-day missions trip and just checks it off my list. The follow-up meaning that I really feel a passion to keep praying for the people that we meet, praying for Pearl Island. You know, so many people in this congregation have been very generous financially, but I want to be the kind of person who just continues to lift this missions up to, to the Lord and continues to support it so that God can move in a country that doesn't really have easy access to the gospel. Right, we want to lift you guys up. Uh, we're going to have a special prayer time for that team leaving after the next service. So at 1230, if you want to come back 
and just pray for this team of students and for Anne. We're going to be right over here about 1230, and we're going to be just lifting them up in prayer uh, before they go. And so we'll definitely keep Thank you guys you. in prayer. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing, too. We really appreciate that. So the call is real, the call to submit in all those areas. The challenge is real. We all experience it, whether uh, you're going to an island in Indonesia or whether you're a greeter or you're working in a classroom trying to help people or lead a life group. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being willing to sacrifice. Thank you for being willing to shift. Thank you for being willing to study. Thank you for being willing to share. Uh, May we continue to grow in those things. Amen? Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you for the reminder through your word. God, that you truly uh, have called us to sacrifice, and you sacrificed, Lord. You sacrificed your son on the cross for our sins. So, Lord, uh, I pray that anyone here and watching online that doesn't know you will respond in faith to what they've heard about Jesus today. And, God, for those of us who know you already, God, I pray that you would bring conviction through the Holy Spirit to one of those areas or more that we need to grow in, to be more submissive, Lord, to you, to be Uh, more on mission for you, Lord God. May we not forget, life is not about us and our agenda. It's really about you and your agenda, Lord. So may our life and resources and everything uh, be about glorifying you and lifting you up. God, I thank you for uh, the lives here. May you use them mightily for your kingdom. Thank you for the gifts we're about to receive. Uh, May you use those mightily for your kingdom as well. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, we all said.